the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Colossians. I have heard some Christians say it's weak for Christians to close a prayer by saying your will be done. Uh, excuse me, but Jesus did it right here in Luke twenty-two forty-two, And he also did it again in Matthew chapter 6 when he taught the model of the Lord's prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. There's nothing weak about saying, Lord, I want your will. What you're doing is you're surrendering your will to the greater will of the Father. Do people sometimes tell you that you're weak for asking the Lord's will to be done within your prayers? In today's message from Pastor Gary, he teaches you the power of prayer. Prayer has the ability to move mountains within people's minds, hearts, and emotions. Jesus modeled what it looked like to live a surrendered life to the Father. Pastor Gary explains that we should do the same. Asking for the Lord's will to be done is not a sign of weakness. It's actually a positive sign of spiritual growth. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Colossians chapter 4 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. In verse 15, he says, Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Now, some of your translations say, and to the church in his house. There's, there's a little discrepancy here over, over Nympha's name, too, and whether, you know, it's kind of like there are certain names that can go in, in you know, either masculine or, or feminine, you know, like the name Pat. Uh, can be a, a man's name or a woman's name. And so some translations have translated it as her, some say his. Again, it's not a salvation issue, friends. Don't trip up over it. But I, I pointed out, because as I'm reading it, some of you might have a, a, uh, a new King James or King James. You're like, wait, I thought it says his house. If you have ESV or NIV, like I'm reading, friends, it says her house. Okay, so let's move on from Nympha. After this letter has been read to you, See that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Now that could either be a reference to an unknown letter, because we don't have a letter to the Laodiceans in our Bibles, or some Bible scholars believe that he's referring to the letter that he sent to the church at Ephesus, that it actually could be the church 
of Ephesus, Ephesians, that Paul wrote. It was very typical in that day that if, if Paul wrote a letter to a particular church, that neighboring churches, Laodicea, Hierapolis, Colossae, those were all located in the same region of, of the province of Asia Minor or Turkey on a map today. And it's possible that they're just passing these letters around and that that's what he's referring to. Otherwise, we don't have a letter in our Bibles to the Laodiceans. And then in verse 17, he says, tell Archippus... See to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. Some scholars believe that Archippus may have been the pastor of the church at Laodicea, and Paul is exhorting him, like, just hang in there, complete the work that you have received in the Lord. And then Paul says in the last verse, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, remember my chains and grace be with you. So that's that reference, his chains, to the fact that he's imprisoned in Rome. In the time we have left, I want us to go back up to the beginning of chapter 4 and uh, for us to take to heart some of Paul's closing instructions here as it relates to our communication with God, which we would call prayer, and our communication with one another, which we would call our witness. If you'll notice in verse 2, he says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone." So you see here that between verses 2, 3, and 4, he emphasizes prayer. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. He even then says, while you're at it, in verse 3, pray for us too. And then he even gets specific in verse 4 how, how they can proclaim, not only that Paul would proclaim the mystery of Christ, but he says in verse 4, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as, as I should. So there's this emphasis in the first part of chapter 4 on prayer, and what I wanted to do was just kind of uh, accumulate a few different verses in the Bible that speak about prayer as just some general reminders about the importance of prayer. Look, I'm not going to say anything new that hasn't already been written on this subject. There is more in, in Christian writings on the topic of prayer than any other topic among doctrine or Christian faith. There's more written on the topic of prayer. But as I've said before, there might be a lot written on the topic of prayer, but I don't think as many of us are praying as much as we should. A lot of information out there, and what I'm about to share with you probably won't be anything new, but just a reminder to us that we need to be, as Paul exhorts the church at Colossae, devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. So what I want to share first are three different verses, uh, actually four, but three main points that um, speak to me about prayer. I'm sure that there are many verses that speak to you about prayer, but I'm the one that has the pulpit, so you're going to hear mine. And you're you're welcome to share yours with me later, but you're going to get the ones that, that come to me and the ones that have spoken to me over the years. And then I'm going to also give you five important truths about prayer as it relates to what God thinks of it when we pray. So the first ver- one of the first verses that comes to my mind is this. It's Luke 11, verse 1. And it is when Jesus' disciples come to him and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. 
And it is in that setting that Jesus teaches them what has commonly been referred to as the Lord's Prayer. I personally don't think that the Lord's Prayer was ever intended by the Lord to be recited as a rote prayer. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think many Christians have put the Lord's Prayer to memory. And I think it sounds beautiful and and it's, it's a wonderful prayer to pray. But I don't know that that was necessarily our Lord's original intent. I want you to go around reciting this prayer, reciting this prayer, reciting this prayer. Because how many of us understand that you can go around reciting something long enough and it loses its meaning? I think what Jesus intended in the Lord, what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer, is a model. Here is a model of how to pray. You know, start out with praise. You move into the will of God. You talk about your basic needs. And then you ask for the kingdom of God to come and to be established. And that doesn't mean necessarily the millennial reign. I think it just means the rule and reign of Christ in your life as king. But it's a beautiful model, and you can, you can look at the Lord's Prayer. It's in Matthew 6, it's in Luke 11, and just kind of see a great outline for the elements to be included in prayer. What it says to me, though, in, in the words of the disciples when they asked Jesus in, in Luke 11, 1, teach us to pray, is this first point, that prayer is a discipline. It will not come naturally or conveniently to us. If, if it came naturally or conveniently, they wouldn't have said, teach us. They understood that their prayer life was not what it should be, and they often saw Jesus' model prayer, and because of his example, they just said to him, teach us to pray. We don't know how to do this. We don't know how to do this. So whenever you see in the Bible some directive or some instruction, uh, it's 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 often because it doesn't come naturally to us. It doesn't come conveniently to us. And I think prayer is one of those things. Now, prayer will come naturally and conveniently to us when, when we're in a mess. Amen? When you're in trouble or something is going wrong in your life or you got terrible news or you're, in, you know, you're, in, you're tied up with fear or some, then people pray. You know the old saying, there are no atheists in a foxhole. So when bombs are going off and bullets are flying around you, you're going to develop a prayer life quick. When that airplane starts to hit some air pockets, you're praying fast. Nobody has to tell you. Teach me to pray. No, you're just praying. But what I'm speaking of is just the daily discipline, you know, outside of when those kind of fearful things or life, you know, throws us a curveball and then all of a sudden we start praying more. I'm just talking about, you know, the everyday kind of discipline of developing a prayer life. And I think that when Jesus' disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray, it is indicative of where most of us are on this topic, that unless we discipline ourselves, it won't come naturally and it won't come conveniently. Prayer is a discipline. You remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was with his disciples just before Jesus was arrested, betrayed, arrested, and crucified, And he has his disciples there. Now it's absent Judas. Judas is gone now because he's gone to gather up the Roman soldiers to betray Jesus. So he has his 11 there. And and the Bible says that he takes Peter, James, and John off a little bit further from the others uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane where he can pray. And then he goes a little bit further from them. And at different times, Jesus comes back to his disciples, and he says, could you not tarry one hour? He sees them sleeping. And he says, could you not, King James says, could you not tarry? 
Could you not wait? Could you not pray? Could you not be watching for one hour? Now, that speaks to me because Jesus made one hour sound like that's a real minimal time that you should be praying every day. Could you not tarry? Could you not wait? Could you not pray just even one hour? But he found them sleeping, and it's in that same conversation where Jesus says to them, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Okay? Our spirit is willing to pray. We have good intentions about prayer, but our flesh is weak. And there are a lot of things that compete with our time and attention in regards to prayer. So we, we are busy doing a lot of things. Those A lot of things compete with our communion with God. Those things compete with our attention. We become preoccupied by, by everything else instead of the Lord. And that's just the nature of our flesh. That's what comes more conveniently. That's what comes more naturally is, is busyness and preoccupation with the cares and concerns of this world. And it's only when the cares and concerns of this world reach a point where we're in fear or frustrated that then we pray. But prayer should be the first objective, not the last resort. We should learn to start our day with prayer. How many of you could honestly testify that when you start your day with prayer, you noticed that generally speaking, your day tends to go better when you start your day with prayer? Let me see hands. Come on, just a bit. Yeah, amen. And so, but, and how many of you would also say that you've noticed at different times when you're in a rush, you're trying to get out the door and you're doing this and you don't pray in the mornings? you also become keenly aware that your day doesn't go as well. Amen? Yes? Okay. So uh, it's true, and it takes that kind of discipline. Now, I don't want to be legalistic about this discussion of prayer. It's not that you have to pray in the morning. I'm just recommending to you, and you, you saw the hands if you're not a morning prayer, that it, it tends to help set the tone and pace of your day when you can start it with prayer. You say, well, I have to get up really early and, you know, and, and I got kids that get up really early. Okay, well, then get up earlier. All I'm saying is, I mean, we have to carve out the time and do what it takes to really have that special, quiet communion with God. But it is, again, not going to be something that will naturally happen. It has to be intentional. It's a discipline of our faith to pray. Oswald Chambers said, quote, we tend to use prayer as a last resort, but God wants it to be our first line of defense. We pray when there's nothing else we can do, but God wants us to pray before we do anything at all. You even see Jesus model this in Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 35. You don't need to turn, but it's one of the most challenging verses in the Bible for me. And especially, I don't mean to make this about me, but being in pastoral ministry, there's a scene in Mark, chapter 1, where Jesus, it says, is in Capernaum. And he literally, it says, it spends all night ministering to people who were sick and diseased, all night long. It says that everybody was bringing the sick and diseased to Jesus in Capernaum. And it says in in Mark's gospel, chapter one, that he ministers them all night long. And then Mark 135, it says, early the next morning, before the sun rose, Jesus left the home where he was staying and went to a solitary place where he could pray. I mean, he had just poured himself out completely, ministering to all the sick and diseased and, and sharing truth with people. And, and yet, he doesn't sleep in. He gets up early the next morning, even before the sun rises, Mark one thirty five, and he goes off to a solitary place where he can pray. Now, if Jesus, if the Son of God had unlimited resources tapped into the power of his Father in heaven, and he saw the need... To get up in the morning before sun rose 
and to get into a solitary place and pray, how much more do I need to pray? How much more do you need to pray? But it's a discipline. Lord, teach us to pray. It will not come naturally or conveniently. Here's another verse that comes to mind in regards to prayer. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, it says, pray continually. Some of your translations say pray without ceasing. And I think that's a good reminder, and this is point number two. Prayer is a disposition, not just a destination. Now, look, there are many examples in the Bible where it speaks of prayer like a destination. In in Acts chapter 16, it, it talks about how Paul went to the place, the place of prayer uh, I, I just mentioned Mark one thirty five. Jesus went to a solitary place where he could pray. Uh, in Matthew chapter 6, I think it's verse 10, where it talks about uh, when you pray, go into your, your prayer closet, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and the one who sees in secret will reward you. And so it even speaks about a place of prayer. There are definitely places for prayer. If you ever saw the movie War Room, which is an awesome movie, you know how she had that that room in her house where she would go and and pray. And prayer is, you know, it's a place where you can make as a destination. I'm going to go to my place of prayer. But it is also a disposition because when Paul writes there in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray continually or pray without ceasing, you can pray anywhere, anytime. You can pray as you're driving to work. You can pray as you're driving home from work. And I don't, I don't just mean the kind of prayers like, oh, this traffic, Lord, get these people. I don't mean that kind of prayer. I mean, you know, just you're, you're praying to work. You're praying from work. You're praying when you have some downtime. You're praying when you're mowing the lawn. You're praying when you're washing your car. You're praying when you're shoveling snow. You're, and you're just different times where you just have some alone time. You can be praying. Some of the best times of prayer I've had are in the shower when there's like nobody's around and it's just, you know, just that soothing hot water on your neck and you're just like giving your day to the Lord. Just, I mean, prayer can happen any place, any time. Pray continuously. Pray without ceasing. It doesn't have to be long, protracted, you know, these, you know, uh, uh, lengthy prayers. It can just be, you're constantly just communing and having conversation with God. I mean, that's what, that's what prayer is. But please, let's remind ourselves, conversation is a two-way communication path. Because conversation is not just talking, it's also listening. Sometimes I think to myself when I hear people say, you know, God doesn't speak to me. I, I pray, I pray, I pray, and, I, and God doesn't speak to me. That's because you're so busy talking, he can't get a word in edgewise. How about you just stop yapping long enough in your prayer closet or wherever you are driving or doing whatever to just make prayer a time of just listening. Just be still before the Lord and know that he is God. Sometimes our prayers amount to just a bunch of requests. Lord, I want this. I need that. You know, heal me of this and, and, uh, and help that person, help this person. And th- those are wonderful and those have a, a good place in our prayer life. But, but what often is lacking is stopping long enough to listen. Just listen. Praying continuously does not necessarily mean you're talking continuously. It means you are having fellowship and communion with God. And so sometimes it is talking, and sometimes it is just listening, just being still and asking him to speak to your hearts. So 
pray continuously. Lord, teach us to pray, number one, it doesn't come naturally or necessarily conveniently. Pray, number two, continuously, which means it's not just a destination, it's also a disposition. It should be ongoing way that we see our Christian lives. And then the third point, I'm drawing on two verses here out of Philippians 4, 6 and Luke twenty two forty two. 42. Now, here's, here's the full verse, uh, Philippians 4, 6 and 7, actually. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, now listen to that along with Luke twenty-two forty-two. Jesus, this is also in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus prays, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now, he's speaking about the cup of suffering, and it's, and it's Jesus is expressing. You know, look, he's fully God, but he's also fully man. There's, a, there's the, the wonderful mystery of, of the incarnation, God taking on human flesh. The humanity part of Jesus, like any of us, would not want to experience excruciating agony and pain of a crucifixion. So Jesus is actually praying to his Father, if there's another means by which redemption of the world can be accomplished, and I don't have to experience this suffering, Lord, if you could take this cup from me, Father, then, then do it, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And I think it's important to remember that when you, when you take a look again at Philippians 4, 6 and Luke twenty two forty two, that prayer is presenting your request to God. That's Philippians 4, 6. But it is also about surrendering your will to his. Now, I hear Christians from time to time, and I just want to, you know, challenge this thinking. I hear Christians sometimes saying that your prayer life should really be about telling God rather than asking God. And it, and it comes across like, you know, just, and I know people mean well when they say these kind of things, but I hear this kind of nonsense in the body of Christ sometimes. And I hear people actually say things like, you just go into prayer, just telling God and, you know, standing on your faith. And, and in a sense, I don't think they would necessarily use this word, but demanding from God what you want done. And you just claim it and you just say it and, and it'll be done for you. Listen, listen to me, listen to me, friends. It's okay to defer to the will of God. It's okay to defer to the will of God. I'll go so far as to say it's necessary that you defer to the will of God. I have heard some Christians say it's weak for Christians to close a prayer by saying your will be done. Uh, excuse me, but Jesus did it right here in Luke twenty-two forty-two. And he also did it again in Matthew chapter 6 when he taught the model of the Lord's prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. There's nothing weak about saying, Lord, I want your will. What you're doing is you're surrendering your will to the greater will of the Father. You're making your request known. You're saying, Lord, I'm pouring out my heart. That's Philippians 4, 6, and 7. With thanksgiving, I'm making my, my prayers, my petitions, my requests known to you by supplications with thanksgiving. Present your request to God. That's Philippians 4, 6, and 7. And the peace of God will, that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's a wonderful benefit we get when we pray, that the peace of God just transcends our hearts and minds and guards us from the fear and the worry and the anxiety. His peace just comes all over us. So make your request known. Lift it up to the Lord. Tell him what you need. James warns us in James chapter 4, you have not because you ask not. 
Or you have not because you ask with wrong motives, is what James says to us. So ask. But we had better be willing to also say, but Lord, you know what's best. And you know far more than I know. And you can see far greater than what I can see. And because all I can see is this little, this little tiny part of life, as I pray and make my request known, if you have better intentions for me, then let your will be done, not mine. That is not a weak prayer, friends. That is acknowledging the sovereignty of your Father in heaven who loves you and the willingness to humble yourself enough to defer to the will of God. Colossians 2, 6 through 7 says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Here at Cornerstone Connection, we are committed to providing teaching that helps you become rooted and built up in Christ. Pastor Gary Hamrick is working through Colossians, and it is full of wisdom that will establish your heart in the faith. If you want to take this one step further, we have companion resources available for you. These digital study guides are for those who want to learn more about today's message. You can find these resources and so much more on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. While you're there, you can subscribe to our podcast or download our mobile app. Hours of great teaching from God's Word in the palm of your hand. Cornerstone Connection is a ministry out of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, check out our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc, to find our location and service time. If you have specific prayer requests, you can send them to us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. And remember that we are always giving thanks for you when we pray for you. We can't wait to connect with you again next time at Cornerstone Connection. J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.